Welcome to Reputation Town. Welcome to another episode of Reputation Town. It's been a couple of weeks since our last one. This is Warren Weeks. I'm joined by John Paranak, as always. John, how are things in your life? Good afternoon. I'm full, fully back in the swing of the post-pandemic economy. <laughs> you can't see John, but he's looking really sharp in a suit and a nice, tight, very uh, uh, razor-sharp haircut. You're looking like you're looking like you I did had this. I had this amazing haircut experience where, where it was a guy who cut my hair. He was Egyptian and he talked to me for like 30 minutes nonstop about uh, urban planning in Egypt. <laughs> it's not what I expected to get from that experience, but I, I enjoyed it. It's very interesting. And uh, you also, I don't know if you want to make this public, but you also had the COVID yourself too. I did. Yeah. And so, was, was, uh, you know what? Uh, I guess everyone had to get it eventually. And, you know, I had my turn. I saw this great quote. It's, it's, it's not the pandemic isn't over when everyone's wearing a mask. The pandemic is over when everyone's had the virus. And it seems like that's Pretty where much, yeah. headed. Yeah. Okay. A um, lot of stuff to chat about today. One of the stories that you had flagged was the, uh, the very short-lived CNN Plus. Do you want to give us a quick overview of that story and why you think it's relevant from a reputational standpoint? Yeah, I think it's interesting. Um, so for, for those who weren't following it, CNN, you know, joined the ranks of many other media companies and launched its own streaming service. They spent about $300 million getting this thing off the ground, um, had it operating for about 30 days. And then with the acquisition that Discovery Channel, uh, there's Discovery Communications made of CNN, uh, promptly closed down the service after the first 30 days. And the reason I thought it was interesting from a communications perspective is because, you know, there, there was tons of media about this in the U S in particular, all the headlines were, you know, <clears throat> you know, essentially giant failure, CNN shuts down uh, $300 million business after only 30 days. And it kind of perplexed me because if I'm discovery and I'm making this acquisition, yeah, I'm going to clean up some parts of the operation that, that don't make sense or, you know, rationalize things where I think it works better with my business strategy. There, there was a much, much better way to do this. In effect, when you actually peeled the, the onion back and saw what they were actually doing is they were taking the, the more successful streaming shows from CNN plus and adding them to discovery's own streaming service and, and, and consolidating things that way. But they, that's not what they announced when they, uh, when I looked at the, um, the internal announcement, for example, that went into staff was basically um, uh, today Warner Brothers Discovery and CNN are announcing that we've decided to cease operations at CNN Plus effective April 30th. And then it went into sort of sharing perspectives. And, you know, not that you can put a, a, a great gloss on, on you know, re, recalibrating a business move like this where you are losing money but they could have done a better job of positioning this from the, from the outside perspective. So you didn't get all those headlines looking like it was a colossal failure. Mm -hmm. And I just thought from a, this is, this is one of those strategic communications um, exercise moments where um, uh, you, you really always want to think about the headlines, you know, like I'm, I know Warren, you do this exercise a lot with people when you media train them, as you say, you think about the headline you want to see in the paper the next day and, and then, you know, work backwards accordingly. And I don't think, you know, $300 million failure was the headline that, that anyone wanted to see in the paper the next day. Doesn't this have the feel of a boardroom battle between 
two old white guys, one from each company. The, ultimately, I have no idea, but th- it has that kind of flavor. One of them just didn't want it. And yeah. and you end up with this kind of situation. You feel bad for the people who ended up losing their jobs. Read some of the coverage uh, in the link that you sent over, and it looks like they're being treated pretty well severance-wise, benefits-wise. I think they're up to six months for people if they can't find another job within the company. So not ideal. The, the thing that I find interesting is with all these different streaming services, and we've seen Netflix just got decimated, their stock price uh, in the last couple of weeks, it's interesting to me that CNN thought that they could get people to pay for something that they're having trouble giving away for free on TV. Like their viewership numbers are probably among the lowest they've ever been. And, um, you know, you can speculate about what the reason for that is, but uh, not for, from no angle does this look like a business success. Um, anything else on that one? Well, you know, just from a, I think you're right. I think internally there was probably an element here of these guys made a the discovery wanted to point out that these guys made a bad business choice by trying to launch the service. Um, but it kind of looks, looks uh, just poor on everyone yeah. when you, when you, you, you have to unwind something and uh, it has such a negative spin. Uh, so, you know, and maybe it's only up from here for the, for, for the way Discovery's streaming, streaming services is looked at, but uh, just, you know, another one of those cautionary tales of really thinking through the whole, the whole chain of events that can, can come from when you, uh, when you announce a big change like this. And they were trying to spin it as a success that they had like 150 or 155,000 people signed up in the first month or whatever. But the amount of money they threw at this thing, a third of a billion dollars, the numbers are, are much less impressive when you compare them to like, what's the acquisition cost? for those 150,000 people. Anyway, they didn't get a a long-term fair shake, but just a terrible, terrible story all around. Okay, we're going to go briefly, I hesitate to even bring this up, but I just just want to glance over the story from a reputational standpoint, the Johnny Depp, Amber Heard trial. I don't follow this kind of celebrity news. I go out of my way to avoid it. I'm not a TMZ guy, but I find it interesting that it's very hard to avoid it because little clips are showing up on Twitter, on TikTok, on Instagram, on LinkedIn of all places. And so you're seeing these little elements. It's making it into the news. And um, it might be interesting for us because I don't think you really follow the stuff very closely either. But really at the core of this story is reputation. So Johnny Depp was accused of abuse and all these other horrible things. And he ended up paying a huge career cost, reputational cost, lost his job as uh, Captain Jack Sparrow from the uh, Pirates of the Caribbean movies, which was his kind of flagship role, and ends up suing her for, for defamation. And so you've seen all the, the back and forth in, in the courtroom and all the funny little clips and everything else. Um, and we haven't discussed this ahead of time, but just looking at what you've seen in these little clips, what, can you give us a quick breakdown of, from a reputational standpoint, who's winning and who's losing? That's a hard one because I, I I'm in the same boat as you were. I haven't I've been going on my way not to invest too much <laughs> uh, time and resource into into following what's happening. But you're right, you, you can't avoid it because it's being clipped in in every like whether it's TV or online print, it's being clipped everywhere, and it's it's it, it has echoes of the of you know whatever it was 25 years ago the OJ Simpson trial where it's creating these like little celebrities. Uh, celebrity uh, uh, experts that are testifying, and uh, you know, at a at a fundamental level, the idea that you can go to court to somehow 
rescue or rehabilitate your reputation has its inherent challenges. Um, you know, this, this whole long pro- prolonged exercise of dragging everyone's dirty laundry out in the public um, is it, it's, a, I don't want to say it's a no win situation, but it's hard to see any, any kind of clear victor can, can come out of these situations because especially when, especially when there's a power differential involved sometimes where it feels like, yeah. you know, one side is, <clears throat> One side is uh, exerting that over the other, but on balance, my, my my takeaway is that I think Depp is coming out looking better, having gone through the process than he did going in. Because to to your point, there was a lot of accusations that were were leveled at him, and now just you know paying attention at the margins, it seems like um, it seems like maybe that some of those were unfair, or you know who knows. But at the end of the day, I think he's coming out ahead. Uh, as far as I can tell. What what have your thoughts been? Yeah, I think it's very clear that overall the public sentiment is on his side. Um, he, he's almost coming across as this sympathetic figure. But you're right, it's it's like a nuclear PR strategy or salt the earth. It's almost like, um, what's that line? Um, There's nothing more dangerous than, than someone who doesn't have anything to lose. And I, th- I, feel, <laughs> I feel like he thought that that was kind of his last resort. And it, you, you think of like Wiley Coyote or whatever, you know, with a little TNT box. And, and I kept thinking, why is this on TV? Like, why are, why are we watching this? If this were happening with your neighbors down the street, it's not on TV. And so just the, the public scrutiny around it is, is, is really weird. But, um, I saw, we're taping this on, um, May 5th and I saw just a little clip. I'm going through Twitter today and Amber Heard is on the stand. I, you know, I guess she's giving her testimony now. And at some point she had a Kleenex and she put it up to her nose and you can see her kind of look over to where the photographers are and she just holds it there like she's posing and you can see all the flashes going off. So it's like she's pretending to cry. Like It looked like it was a posed thing. It was like an acting thing. So I found that kind of weird. And you can't discount the whole acting element. Like you have two actors and arguably Johnny Depp is the better of the two. And just like the, the delivery of some of his lines and the little pauses and the use of words. Um, you wonder how much of that is is uh, is on purpose. And it's been kind of funny, but... Yeah, no, no, no huge winners, but I think he is redeeming himself from a reputational standpoint. It'll be interesting to see what happens down the road career-wise for both of them. Does he get some of those roles back? Does he have this Phoenix moment where he kind of comes back into to the good graces, or 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 does he not? But it's just uh, take, uh, oh, go ahead. I was going to say take this to you know maybe a analogous situation. You know, did. did is it ever in the interest of a company, you know, or, um, or others to take this route? Like, I think this is kind of a unique situation where you've got two, two people who are probably pretty well to do so they can, they can fund this kind of exercise. And, um, uh, and, and, and by nature of the fact they're celebrities, they're getting this like wall to wall television coverage it's a unique circumstance. I think if it, if it were, you know, just a, an, a, an anybody, then that you certainly wouldn't be getting that attention. Mm-hmm. And, you know, basically the spotlight that Depp is getting because of the, his celebrity status is allowing him the opportunity to, to, to undertake this, this degree of rehabilitation that's happened. Mm-hmm. I don't think that happens for other people. Like it, like this is not a, a solution that you can, you can say, oh, I'm going to use that to, to bring to bear if I'm ever in that situation or my company's ever in that situation. I, I just think it's an extraordinary circumstance or a very unique circumstance. Right. 
uh, in a way, what what happened here was, if you believe, uh, again, I, I mean, I, I don't know what's going on within that relationship, but if you believe what what was being said, she kind of weaponized reputation against him, and that was his kind of biggest asset, and she she destroyed it. And then, so what you have now is, yeah, this lose lose situation that he's trying to kind of salvage something, but it's it's just sad to see all around. I want to talk about Dolly Parton briefly because she is uh, a much beloved figure country music star she's had you know many many decades career and it was just announced the other day that she's going to be inducted into the rock and roll hall of fame in november now you could you could discuss that like if you look at the (laughs) the artists who are who are being inducted we have um uh who are they dolly parton lionel richie pat benatar duran duran eminem eurythmics carly simon i'm not I'm not that that's not exactly a list dripping with rock and roll, but uh, hey, you know, okay, so they've 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 loosened the the boundaries a little bit. But I I would say that she's the new Betty White. We just lost Betty White a couple months ago. I, I'd say Dolly Parton has taken over that role and in in a way on steroids. I was looking today at some of the stuff that she's done. Tremendous um community, charitable work, philanthropy. She had um in 1988 she in Tennessee in her state, um, the dropout rate for high school students was 35%. She started a scholarship. This is 1988. This is a long time ago, $500 to every seventh and eighth grade student who finished high school. And she ended up dropping, um, lowering the dropout rate from 35% to 6%. She's been a huge proponent of saving the bald Eagle uh, population in the United States. In 2017, she gave a million dollar donation to a children's hospital in 2020, it you know very famously donated $1 million to Vanderbilt University, which helped fund the Moderna vaccine. And so it's, it's a very quiet but persistent cultivating and curating of this, this great reputation. And the reason I bring up the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame thing is she was nominated in uh, February, a couple weeks later on Instagram. She went out and actually said that she didn't, she, she bowed out. So her quote was, even though I'm extremely flattered and grateful to be nominated for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, I don't feel that I've earned that right. I really don't want the votes to be split because of me, so I must respectfully bow out, which is a pretty gangster move. And you could you could speculate about why she did it. Was this calculated move? Did she really feel like she didn't belong there? But she got this huge wave of positive uh, press because of it. Now, of course, the ballots had already been sent out, and so um, she she technically couldn't bow out and then she ends up getting in. And I would say my, my guess would be that the reason that she ended up getting in on the first ballot is because of all this great work and this, this, this reputation she's cultivated. So now she's saying she's thrilled and da 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 da. But um, a very, you know, we don't think about her a lot, but this is a person who has very quietly built one of the strongest reputations in showbiz. Any thoughts on, on Dolly before we move along to, uh, to the, to the food industry? Well, if you, if you, well, I'm not sure if people remember this, but back in the seventies, she was one of the biggest celebrities around, right? Like I remember on TV and stuff, it was always, she was one of the, the core group of people that people were talked, uh, that were talked about. And then as time went on, she, she may have faded from the, uh, the media spotlight, but she certainly kept a pace or, as you said, you know, she invested and she created, uh, used her wealth to to do some real, real good in the communities that were important to her, and you know from time to time you'll see her pop up on the radar screen because of, of those uh, philanthropic things she's done. So from a reputational standpoint, like she's she's built a gilded 
reputation for herself by this quiet uh, activity. And also, you know, when we talk about crisis communications, we've said it before where it's, it's about like what action are you taking to address the, the issue? And then let's talk about it. Well, she's been taking action, you know, for, for decades now toward these philanthropic causes that are important to her. So as a result, her reputation, you know, has been built alongside it. Um, and um, the fact that she's uh, taken such a quiet communications approach to go along with that, I think is just maybe more testament to her personality, maybe in the way she wants to keep a lower profile uh, for that kind of stuff. But um, uh, I think, you know, there's some lessons in there for people uh, that um, that uh, that kind of that kind of modesty, but telling your story in a in a in a, in a measured way can pay real dividends as as she's as she's as she's enjoyed. What I'm what I'm seeing also, uh, and I totally agree with your comments. What I'm what I'm really interested in early in your career, you're grinding. You're working, you know, hundreds of shows, these little places, people throwing beer bottles at you, just the the tough life. And now she's old. I think you what, 75, 76 years old. And now she's deploying, you know, you don't have the same kind of energy you used to have. And just like an athlete, you have to, as you grow and age, you have to change the way you, you uh, deploy your energy. And so she has these little power moves. Like the donation for the vaccine was, you know, you basically write a check and she gets a tax write-off, but it was the timing of it and the topic of it. And given everything else that was going on with Donald Trump and the whole anti-vaxxer movement, just that turned out to be such a great power move. And uh, she, I, she, I feel like she's got this really great sense of timing. And even the, you know, when she went and got her vaccine and she didn't jump the line, she could have, but she didn't. She waited like everybody else. And so these are all careful decisions. And when she got it, she sang the song, you know, Jolene is one of her big songs. And she sang it with, with the words vaccine, vaccine. And I'm not going to sing the song, but um, everywhere you look, she just makes the right choice. And it's just, it's nice to see because we week in and week out the, the examples of people who uh, mess this up and get it wrong are, there's so many of those. We're going <laughs> to, we're going to talk about one of those in a second, but to see somebody who's done it so consistently over more than half a century is fantastic. So, uh, kudos to Dolly Parton. All right. We have one more. It's going to be a bit of a shorter episode this week. And, uh, we have one more, and you you would uh, flag this. I hadn't seen it, and then I went into this little rabbit hole today, and it's it's a fascinating story, and uh, we're probably going to see uh, more stories like this pop up down the road. So, do you want to give us a quick overview of uh, of this last one, please? For sure. So, uh, the company involved here is called Freshy, and they're sort of a restaurant business. They have like what three hundred fifty locations. Yeah. They're publicly traded, uh, and they uh, sell salads and things. Expensive salads. Pretty good. They're expensive salads. I've enjoyed their expensive salads more than my share of times. Uh, but what they did was they, they, I think it was in part, like I'm just guessing here, but I mean, it's perhaps in part uh, in, in response to the, the difficulty that many service businesses have had uh, finding and, and uh, uh, recruiting and retaining uh, good, good, good talent. Uh, created a virtual cashier. So basically uh, you walk up to the the kiosk to order and the person you're, you're greeted by an actual person on a screen. Um, but the person is at, not in Canada. The person is in other parts of the world. In this case, I think some of them were from central America 
and um, they they interact with you in real time to process your order and and uh, get you what you need. And so when this they're calling this Percy, uh, it's a virtual cashier. And um, uh, when this was launched, it created a bit of a furor in 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 Ontario to begin with, even to the point where the um, the Minister of Labor in Ontario called out the company for what they were considering was, uh, was a distasteful practice. And, um, and the company sort of the way they responded was kind of positioning this vis-a-vis a, um, like an app. Uh, so, uh, you know, you use apps all the time. And, 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 and so what's, what's the difference between having a remote employee um, from, from just my perspective, I think that, I think this is another one of those issues where, the public public affairs and public relations considerations of a business choice weren't necessarily thought through fully or prepared for. And I think at its core, like you don't see people lining up and, and calling out, you know, every, every retailer grocery store that's put in self checkouts versus uh, the employees they've got. But in this case, it feels like they're, there here's a company that's maybe taking advantage of lower income workers in other countries to provide a service remotely here. And I think it's that is at the core of what spurred the, the negative reaction toward them. What, what were your thoughts when you saw the story? So it's, I found it kind of weird. First of all, I've got one of these locations not too far from like, well, from both of our places and have been, been there a couple of times. And so my understanding, I haven't seen one of these in real life, but it's, you go in and there's a, a person on a screen and that person is in like Nicaragua or whatever, making $3 and something cents an hour compared to, you know, what, what's minimum wage here? Like 16, 15, $16 an hour now. $15. Yeah. And <clears throat> so there's that obviously cost saving element. Um, there was a really interesting article uh, or a piece written in the globe and mail an opinion piece by Robin Urbach. And the headline is Freshies outsourcing of jobs. Isn't new. We just don't like being forced to see it happen. And so it's really interesting because that's the only other, the only real difference is the per, that you can see the person and it makes it so much more real because you know that when you go to a lot of these stores, the clothing is made in, you know, quote unquote sweatshops, you know, like your iPhone was probably made by, you know, uh, a, a kid in, 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 in China at one of those, you know, Foxconn factories. And so um, the difference here is that you're seeing it and, 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 and it's, and that's, I think that's a little bit uh disheartening for some people or, or, or a little bit uh, disturbing. And so you've seen all sorts of comments, negative comments from union leaders, politicians. Uh, the, the response has been very, very, uh, very swift and, and, and ruthless. Um, as we always do, though, I wanted to see how is the company responding to this. And so that's when we started you know, checking out Twitter pages and, and you know, corporate you know, news releases and things like that. And so and I, you know, I only put ten minutes into this, but I can tell you that um, I was I was really disappointed with what I saw. So, Freshy as a company hasn't sent out a tweet since November of 2021. And when I started clicking in, because you'll when a story like this pops up, people will usually go into the company's latest tweet and they'll start just flaming it. In in in, and that hadn't happened, and I wondered why. And so the company has actually turned off it, the ability of people to reply to their tweets. And we've seen that with other individuals who've talked about Bill Gates in the past. Um, 
I went to their Instagram page and they're pretty calm. They're pretty active on Instagram. They're always putting up pictures of food and this and that, but they had turned off the ability to comment. Again, it really takes away the social aspect of social media when you're just using it as a billboard. And so, and I think it, it speaks to a sort of defensiveness or just like the fact that management just doesn't get it how you work these days because transparency is so key. Um, and the other, uh, the other one is Facebook. So I went to their Facebook page and the comments there, people are able to comment on there, but the company's actively deleting comments that they don't like about this issue. And so I actually saw some comments where people, you know, you'll see some negative stuff and then they disappear. And, and that is always a bad look. You know, if you, if, if people are using profanity or racism or threats or anything along those lines, yeah, you can take that stuff down, but just because someone's criticizing about your company shouldn't give you the ability to delete those comments because it just, it's, it's such a bad look for the company. You can't just make bad coverage go away. Um, the, the executive who started the company, Matthew Corin, who it, it's, it's, it's interesting too. I, um, I remember when they started in, in Toronto, I was having lunch with uh, our buddy, Mike, the, that you'll know, and we were having lunch down in, uh, in Toronto and the first one was opening up. And Mike said, hey, I went to business school with that guy. And so here you are, you know, a couple of decades later with the, the company, but no profile on Twitter, nothing on social media. It seems like a very secretive company. And, and overall, like if, if I don't go back to Freshy, it won't be because of their use of virtual cashiers. It will, would be more likely because of their poor communications approach and just lack of transparency. Like that's leaving a worse taste in my mouth than the virtual cashier thing. Because I think this raises a, a bigger discussion about automation and robotics and you know what's the world gonna look like five years from now, 10 years from now. This might be very commonplace, but I think the way they're handling it and communicating about it is terrible. And I'm sad to that, Warren. It, not only that, but this is where the, the communications aspect of your business bleeds into other things like regulation and the way that you're seen by um, you know, government. Uh, you, your track record will precede you. And so if you ever get into a situation where you need to have uh, some regulatory approval or some permit to do something that you want, um, this will catch up with you, right? It will not be forgotten that you, you took the actions you're talking about and took the approaches you're talking about. And I think there's, there, were, there were ways to actually launch a service like this and avoid all this sort of negative publicity. But um, but as I said, like it doesn't appear that like any public affairs or public relations lens was put on the business side of things before it was it was rolled out. And maybe they just thought, oh, it's, it's no different than a, than a self check uh, self self checkout. And yeah, we are still hiring people, but you know they're just elsewhere. So that's so that makes it okay. But that's not that's not the way that's not the way people or regulators or the media see things. Like you really have to have this sort of extra critique of, of decisions so that you can avoid these situations and not get into the uh, circumstances they're in. That's a good point about those other elements because it does have a bit of a carryover effect and not, not to dunk on, on anybody, but like you wonder who's advising them. Like, do they, is it internal communications people do I'm, I'm guessing they have an external firm companies of this size typically do what, what PR company or crisis management firm is saying, go and delete your negative Facebook posts or comments, which one is saying, you know, don't, don't tweet about this. Don't address it. Bury the elephant in the room because the, the negative media coverage, there's no shortage of it. You know, I hadn't heard of the story, but then when I looked it up, it's just like this cavalcade of, uh, of, of terrible headlines. It's just such a, a bad look. 
So, you know, what do they do? Do they end up reversing the decision? I don't know. We'll, we'll have to see what happens. Um, what, what typically happens in a situation like this is if, if people keep, you know, boycotting the store and not going in and it affects their sales and their franchisees are all pissed off, they're going to have to either reverse the decision and make an apology, or they're going to end up addressing it two or three or four weeks from now and the damage will have been done. And so these are the kind of things you got to jump on pretty quickly. And again, in a transparent way, and I haven't seen any of that. So, um, kind of disappointing from them. Anything else on that one? Not on that one. But I have something I want to bring forward. And maybe maybe we, don't, we won't talk about it today, but we, I, I want um, us to talk about Disney again. Because I just noticed that um, we talked about it a few weeks ago where you know, Disney had, uh, in the face of uh, a, a bill being passed in Florida that would prevent teachers from discussing sexual orientation with students, um, Disney had put out a statement initially that said... Um, the um, the company wasn't going to take a position on on the on the legislation, and then their employees began to protest. And the CEO two days later reversed course and said he'd work to get the legislation stopped. And then since that point, Disney's become the lightning rod for this sort of cultural war topic in Florida, uh, to the point where the the state has now revoked a core piece of legislation since the 1960s that has allowed Disney to sort of govern itself on on the land it operates on. And so they've lost that ability. And I, it came up again just a couple of days ago because uh, Disney has fired its uh, head of um, corporate affairs uh, after only three months on the job, um, basically as a result of the, the mess that the company is now in. And so I think we should, we should unpack this in a little more detail because I think there's some great communications uh, learnings in there from internal communications to external to government relations. It's, it's a potpourri of, <laughs> of, potpourri. of things we could talk about. But it's, it's so funny when they, yeah, I, I don't know who this individual is, but we can look it up for next time. But I find it so funny when the company axes their PR firm or the person in that role, like they had nothing to do with these decisions. They're just like a head to chop off and try to make it go away. Amber Heard last week fired her PR firm and hired another one. Like, I don't think that was the problem. Like, she pooped in the guy's bed. Like that maybe was the problem, you know, like who, who's going to put a positive spin on that? The, or as Johnny Depp called it, the fecal delivery. Well, it's, the thing is too, is it also shows an example of like, I don't know what I should be doing. So I'm just going to do what I think Nothing. I have control over. I'm just going to fire someone. I'm just going to replace that. Exactly. Exactly. Anyway, I think that'll be a good one to talk about. Cause I think the, uh, the, 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 the wreckage is still falling from, from that. All right. Do you want to sing Jolene to, to take us out? You know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna take a pass on it. <laughs> I'm not capable of that. Even right. on a good day. Nice tight episode. Uh, good to see you back, and uh, hopefully we can do this again next week. Take care, buddy. Sounds good. Thanks, Warren. Thanks for stopping by. If you liked this episode, please rate, review, or recommend the show. See you next time.